Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year? If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Can you tell me what food religion? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val, 
and you're listening to mutinyradio.fm here in the Mission District of San Francisco, my hometown. And if you haven't noticed, uh, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't noticed or if you're out of town, you don't know that the Super Bowl is happening here in San Francisco, a pretty big deal nas- for, you know, nationally. Um, and locally, it's been a, a highly contentious event um, with public tax money going towards uh, extra public services like uh, police um, and transportation and this big Super Bowl city set up for a week down by the Embarcadero, Justin Herman Plaza, by the ferry building, um, which has uh, where the city has essentially kicked out the, the local artisans and vendors um, so that they could have this big interactive uh, Super Bowl celebration. Um, and, and, you know, of course, there's all sorts of mixed things uh, going on, mixed reactions, Um, a huge homelessness problem here in San Francisco, many people upset at police brutality and at the police trying to kick out homeless people in advance of the Super Bowl to give San Francisco this big shiny image as a world-class city that it is. Um, But with all that, you know, all that in the mix, of course, um, if we look at the Super Bowl itself, uh, a huge, huge event, the biggest sporting event of the year in the United States, which is saying something because this is a country that loves its sports. What we, much like San Francisco setting up Super Bowl City to present this, uh, this idea of, uh, you know, fun and excitement in, uh, in the city, there's also that, that dark side, right? The hundred, uh, the, the, the budget deficit, um, the massive homeless pro- homelessness problem, the police brutality, all those things that I just mentioned. So, you know, when you, when you, uh, you, know, you paint a, try to paint a pretty picture, it's hard to not see the margins. Um, and sometimes it is hard to see the margins because you're distracted by all the glitz. So one topic that I've uh, recently come across and started thinking a lot about is uh, human trafficking. And in, uh, essentially, it's a form of modern-day slavery, where humans from various parts of the world, this country included, um, are swept up into um, a criminal ring, taken advantage of, exploited, uh, whether it's for some sort of labor um, or, or um, most pointedly, uh, sex trafficking. A lot of young women, um, young girls. Uh, the State Department estimates that uh, 2 million women and children are victims of human trafficking every year and that it's a $150 billion business. So um, I got thinking about this recently. I came across a really interesting article uh, by a flight attendant. Her name is Heather Poole. She's actually a Nash- uh, New York Times bestselling author. Um, she's written a couple books. But she wrote this really great article on Mash- Mashable, uh, com, and it's also on her website, Heather Pool. that's P-O-O-L-E, heatherpool.com, and it's called What Being a Flight Attendant Taught Me About Human Trafficking. And logically, um, flight attendants are kind of the first responders to human trafficking. They, you know, with international flights, national flights, domestic flights, um, these are the people who who are interacting with passengers and um, are, are trained to have these telltale signs. So I'm going to be interviewing today the executive director of the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition, uh, Betty Ann Bovine, and uh, we're going to get into this deep, darker, shadowy side of Super Bowl. Take it, never did. 
Today on Women's Magazine, we want to shed light on uh, the dark side of big events like the Super Bowl, but not just the Super Bowl. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shadowy um, international and domestic business, and we're talking about human trafficking. Um, and it's something that happens around us all the time, uh, every day in our neighborhoods, um, but we may not even realize it. And so uh, it's something that would, it's a, a huge importance. It's a form of modern day slavery. And it, you know, not only uh, affects, it affects men and women, but uh, I believe disproportionately affects women and girls. Um, so thank you for joining me on today's Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to mutinyradio.fm. And I'm very happy to welcome my guest. She is the co-founder and executive director of the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. This is uh, Betty Ann Bovine. Betty Ann, thank you so much for joining us. For joining Thanks, me. Valerie. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, before the little musical break, I was talking about how uh, my, my, my interest in, in really covering this topic got sparked by a, uh, an, in, uh, pardon me, an article I read by a, a flight attendant who was talking about how they become kind of the first line of defense for human trafficking because they're on flights all the time and have been trained on certain signs to look for. Um, but I wanted to talk to you today um, so we can spread this, uh, spread the information um, about human trafficking. Um, if you could tell us about the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition and, and what, what is human trafficking? Um, and then we'll, we'll get a little bit more into uh, how people can be aware of it and, and what we're looking at here in the Bay Area. Well, Valerie, as you mentioned, um, you know, this is a very serious topic, and it's coming to everyone's kind of forefront of their mind right now with something like the Super Bowl happening. And with so many people flocking to the Bay Area, indeed, as you mentioned, kind of hearing about this through the travel industry and airlines being trained, um, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition specializes in training frontline workers such as airport employees, uh, people in the hospitality industry, people working at hotels, on what to potentially look for that they might be seeing every day when they put their uniform form on to go to work, that they could be the eyes and ears of identifying this criminal activity happening in our midst. And then we really have reached beyond that as well to really help train individual citizens of just what they can look for. And it's been amazing now that we have a national human trafficking hotline number, how many individuals have been able to report things that have truly saved lives. And how did the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition start? You want to give a little background? It's really a great story. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I'd love to do today is to bring a little bit of levity to our conversation. I know some people can hear of this issue and just think, oh, my goodness, if I hear more about it, you know, kind of where will that lead? And will right. I kind of be bolted to my uh, chair in despair? <laughs> right. And what we really try and offer is really um, hope and perspective for community members that are 
interested in uh, learning how to identify more in their own what we would call traffic pattern to make sure that there's nothing happening in their realm. But, um, you know, I speak all the time and people find out that I'm with the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition and they'll put up their hand and say, you don't need to say any more. I'm grateful. I live right off of Highway 101 and the on-ramp at Whipple gets crazy busy, you know, right around 9 a.m. and they think I'm actually working on Bay Area traffic, the movement of cars. And what we're really talking about here is actually the movement and exploitation of people. Trafficking in persons is actually considered to be modern-day slavery. There's an estimated over 27 million people in slavery in the world today, and this is more than in the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade that we had. Uh, it's the second largest illicit trade behind drugs and guns um, and weapons trade, and basically uh, it's the fastest-growing criminal activity in the world. So when we talk about fighting human trafficking, we are talking about taking on um, a very large criminal enterprise. 50% of the victims are estimated to be children, and 80% are estimated to be w women. But one of the first questions I get is people often say, well, why are people doing this? You know, why are gangs now getting involved? Uh, why is this happening so much, or why am I hearing about it more? It's because now it's been estimated to be a $150 billion annual um, business. And so people are just making a lot of money at this. I hate to say it, but they are realizing that instead of selling drugs or guns once, you can sell a human being over and over. And that has been made a lot more easy by the internet. An estimated 80% of prostitution nowadays is actually arranged online, uh, not on a street corner. And so I think the conversation's even more pertinent happening here in Silicon Valley, where we have so many benefits of the internet that we like to speak of, but we're also addressing the underbelly of the internet and how we need to be looking at websites and things that are happening online that are actually contributing to this criminal activity. So it, with, with sex trafficking, which um, is, is so huge, the, it, it's not just limited to sex trafficking. What other kind of um, human trafficking um, is happening around here in the Bay Area? Yeah, so uh, the term human trafficking, the three things that need to be proved, is that actually human trafficking is defined as the recruitment and transportation of people within or across borders, and the keywords are by force, fraud, or coercion for the goal of exploiting them economically. So um, what it really means is that people are profiting from the control and exploitation of others. This is showing up in our communities as domestic servitude. This is showing up as forced labor. It's showing up as child labor, and it is showing up as sex trafficking. So when we are using the term human trafficking, we are talking about both labor and sex trafficking. One of the things I'd like to point out is some of the biggest cases that have broken in the Bay Area on human trafficking have actually been more under labor. Uh, so we're looking at uh, Thai workers that were brought in to supposedly work on the Bay Bridge, and instead they were given other jobs throughout the Bay Area and never paid and held in pretty horrific conditions. We had the first case of human trafficking to be prosecuted in all of Northern California, and that was actually in the suburb of Walnut Creek, and it was a domestic servitude case where teachers noticed that a nanny was dropping off kids at school every day, and they seemed to be fine. The kids were well-groomed and ran off happy, but the nanny had the same outfit on for five months in a row. Her hair was disheveled. Uh, she never met anyone's eye. And it was just enough that something was a little bit off that the teachers decided to call the cops who got the FBI involved and found that she was actually being held uh, where her documentation had been taken from her. She was being threatened with deportation. She was made to live under the stairs. She was given very little food, and she was beaten often. Um, and then a case of Passant Indian Restaurant in uh, Berkeley. And it was actually a case where people started coming in and realizing that children were serving them lunch. And they were wondering, well, why during school hours are children here serving me lunch? And it turned out over a 20-year period, the owner had been bringing in over 26 women and girls from India and uh, had been having them work just numerous hours for hardly any pay, and there was also sexual exploitation going on. So a lot of times this can actually uh, be both labor and sex trafficking, and uh, we really would like to get that message out because um, a lot of times people do immediately go to thinking, well, this is just sex trafficking. You're talking about International Boulevard in Oakland. And what we're actually talking about is human trafficking cases happening in Woodside, Hillsboro, Atherton, things being pursued in Saratoga, Walnut Creek, Danville, a huge raid happened and, um, and operations were taken down there. So it's really been pervasive throughout the Bay Area and there's not a corner of the Bay Area where we could say this isn't happening. Which is 
thank you for sharing that because I think that that part of it is rather shocking. You know, we, we mm-hmm. don't think of these affluent suburban uh, cities and neighborhoods around the Bay Area as having anything to do with that kind of uh, what we would think of as being kind of a black market underbelly uh, type of criminal organization, um, may, maybe some other types of corruption, but 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 not quite that. So um, thank you for shedding light on some of the things happening in, in the Bay Area. And do we have any, um, you know, estimate of uh, the extent of this? Not just, I mean, within the region, I know you just mentioned a lot of the places, but do, do we have, is it hard to get statistics about this? Yes, it's very hard to get statistics, and um, one of the things that we do know is it often involves a lot of movement. Somebody may be held in San Jose but exploited throughout the East Bay and in San Francisco. Um, at any one point in time, somebody could be moved around to be a part of a bit of a ring. Uh, they really go where the money is. But from the very get-go of when I started this work, Valerie, um, I stood up on a stage in Fremont in January of 2011, right after President Obama had declared that January was National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we held a conference called the Freedom Summit, and we just said, hey, let's get our friends together and talk about the issue of human trafficking. Condoleezza Rice agreed to be our speaker. We had a few great musicians show up, and we had 1,700 people show up to our gathering. So not only did we need to buy a lot more sandwiches and kind of get on the game with organizing this huge event, but what that really showed us was there was an incredible interest here in the Bay Area to ask, what is this issue? How does it apply to me here in the Bay Area? And from that very first day I stood up on that stage, that was when they did the first operation in Danville, which is my hometown. So it's been very personal to me because, again, like I said, it's happening in parts of the Bay that we just don't want to believe it's happening. And so... Um, really, in terms of numbers, what we do know is that county by county, we can start to look at victim service agencies that are starting to work with uh, victims of human trafficking. But we, um, it's really hard to get overall numbers um, on how many victims in an average day there would be in the Bay Area. Um, we have heard an estimate of up to 40% of all human trafficking on the West Coast comes through, Bay Area, through the Bay Area. And what I'd love to point out is kind of why would it be so resonant here. And we do know that every form of human trafficking that has been found to exist in the United States has been found here in the Bay Area. So anytime anybody wants to try and talk to me and have me convince them, you know, that it doesn't happen here, they get very much the opposite story, which is that um, we have, you know, as we mentioned, human trafficking is both labor trafficking and sex trafficking happening here across the Bay. What we do try and bring up is an understanding of kind of four myths around the issue, and if people can really get past those, then they're really ready to engage with us and start thinking about it in their own communities and what they may have seen that's suspicious. One of them is that they think it just happens to girls, and this really is uh, a crime that is happening to boys as well. When one of the first homes that was servicing human trafficking survivors opened in Northern California. The first call they got was from the FBI, who had just recovered 11 boys in San Francisco. So it is definitely um, a concern of both. uh, It is happening to both uh, girls and boys and men and women of all ages. Uh, The second is that it really doesn't just happen to foreign nationals. People often say, well, oh, this is just, you know, they're flying in or they're shipping them in from other places. Well, yes, in the sense of, again, it happens here in the Bay Area. We have three major international airports within 60 miles of each other. Air travel is often a form of use by traffickers because you don't have to have any ID for a minor under the age of 18. Traffickers are fronting as relatives, as soccer coaches, gymnastics coaches, and bringing in young children and things like that via airplanes. Um, And the other thing is, is that It's not, again, we've talked about that it's not just sex trafficking, it's also labor trafficking. Um, And so when you really start to break down these myths, what you do start to understand is you've just got to understand it's happening here. It's not just happening elsewhere. In the Bay Area, you have one of the largest uh, immigrant-born populations. 33% of the Bay Area is estimated to be have born, been born internationally. And what we're finding is a lot of ethnic communities really know how to exploit their own. So within these different ethnic communities in the Bay Area, there's different forms and faces of human trafficking as they are kind of duping people to come to the Bay Area and to California as the land of opportunity. They'll promise them good jobs, and then they wind up uh, putting them out on the street um, and forcing them to sell themselves for sexual services. They will come under the lure of, hey, I got you here. I'm going to get you a job, but you owe me for that $4,000 plane flight that I just paid for you. And so they hold debt over their head. Um, The other thing is that people do ask us a lot, 
you know, kind of why do they not leave more often? And people need to understand that there is a lot of brutality and a lot of brainwashing that goes on. There's a lot of threatening of the person's family or saying that they will harm them. Uh, if they ever tried to run away, they would have no problem even killing one of the uh, victims so that the other ones are feeling threatened and that they wouldn't ever try and escape. Um, and in some cases, we do find that there's some, some kind of Stockholm syndrome where they actually have developed a bond with their trafficker and it's very hard for them to leave. But the Bay Area, because of our large immigrant population, because of the ports, because of these three international airports, and then also having the major roadways that lead to Sacramento and Reno, and also down to Las Vegas and um, Los Angeles, that is why um, a lot of this is coming through the Bay Area. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's really it's really eye opening because I mean, I, I grew up here in San Francisco and I certainly see, you know, massage parlors with uh, security cameras and bars on the windows. And, you know, uh, I actually remember being a kid one time and uh, it was at nighttime and I looked out front of my house and there, a big van had had parked right in front of my house and all and, and then a group of people um got out of the van they only had um like potato sacks with them like big uh, like pillowcases uh full full of something um they they looked a bit disheveled bedraggled and they all hmm. piled out of the van and ran across the street into somebody's garage and the garage door closed and I, even as a child i remember thinking there's something wrong with the situation here and whether that was human trafficking or whether that was some sort of you know illegal immigration um I, i'm not sure but i think that looking and being aware of some of the things around us uh, is what is what is going to keep keep people's eyes open in, in an everyday kind of sense. Um, Absolutely. And I do think what you saw there is a great example of why it's so important that we now have been training law enforcement. Prop 35 passed a few years ago, and that was actually asking California law enforcement to be trained on human trafficking so that when they get calls from individual citizens that say, hey, you know, I just walked by a garage in my neighborhood and it looks like five guys are living in the garage. Or, you know, I'm sitting here and it's noon and there's always this kid next door that's mowing the lawn. I don't understand why he's not in school. It's very important important that we have trained law enforcement to be able to take these tips. But at the same time, there's also now a national human trafficking hotline number. And I would love to mention it here in case listeners do not have it already plugged into their cell phones, but it's a useful number to have. It's 1-888-3737-888. Again, that's 1-888-3737-888. And what that does is if anybody is seeing things like a massage parlor that's closing at 9 p.m., but at 8.50, there's cars pulling in, and it looks like things are going on after hours. Or as you mentioned, Valerie, potential places that have bars on the window and um, you know video cameras, and it doesn't look like they're letting people come freely back and forth. Um, you know, We had one guy here in San Jose. Now, we don't recommend often going in and kind of uh, addressing the um, establishment, but he had seen this hair salon in San Jose, and he said, you know, um, it just seems odd to me that all these construction trucks pull in over the lunch hour to quote-unquote get a haircut, and then they all pull out an hour later. And so he decided to go in there and just ask for a haircut. Well, it took the ladies 20 minutes to find a pair of scissors. So I can tell you that that's not what they do for their primary business. And then, of course, he walked out with the best evidence of all, which is a really bad haircut. And he just <laughs> walked straight into the Santa, San Jose police and said, this isn't what they do for business. And a couple weeks later, that was um, a place that was shut down as a front for prostitution. Now, one of the things I get asked a lot about, though, is, you know, well, is it prostitution or is it human trafficking? Right. And what we can say is that, you know, it's an estimated right now by the Jimmy Carter Center uh, for Peace They've estimated that one out of every 10 people that is actually in the business of what we would call prostitution is actually what we would call a sex worker who is doing it on their own fruition. They are either posting themselves online, they are selling themselves on the street, but the other nine out of 10 people are being held against their will and have, being forced to do horrific things that none of us would want to do. And so for anybody to say, you know, well, you know, we need to just kind of know that prostitution just happens. We need to understand that nine out of 10 of those people are actually being held by a third party pimp or trafficker who now we have laws of human trafficking where we can actually stand up to that and say, no, this young person or this adult is actually being forced with forced fraud or coercion is being held in that position of enslavement. And we're able to help get them out and bring 
uh, justice to the trafficker. So um, any time that you can prove there is a third party that is exploiting and making profits off of the demanded services of another person, that's where the uh, human trafficking laws now come to bear. In the state of California, it has been ranked as one of the top three st states in the United States for human trafficking. We have three out of the 10 worst child sex trafficking areas in the United States, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. We do have good laws on the books. I mentioned Prop 35 to train law enforcement and to make some of the sentences for traffickers more uh, steep. But we also have the California Traf Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2005. But currently, human trafficking carries a lighter penalty under California law than both rape or kidnapping. And really, um, the crime of human trafficking is that kind of exploitation on a daily basis. So we're moving along as a state. Uh, we're definitely, uh, the other thing we have going on is that uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, just a very concerned population in the Bay Area. One of the things I find is that when people travel the world and they live in the Bay Area, you don't necessarily say, like, I live in Cupertino or, hey, I live in Saratoga or I live in, you say I'm from the Bay Area. And so we're actually calling on that regional identity of folks to say, we need to work on this problem as a Bay Area, as an entire region, because we can't just say that Menlo Park or Palo Alto or Danville has been eradicated with no human trafficking because it seeps across city borders very easily. It seeps across county borders. And so it truly is a regional issue that we're all coming together to work on. And uh, we've got over 50 organizations here in the Bay Area that are working to fight trafficking both locally and abroad. What the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition does is serves as the umbrella organization that is working to have all those groups work together and to be very coordinated in the fight against trafficking. Um, one of the things that we like to mention is that we have what we call a neighborhood watch, and everybody's got those signs in their neighborhood, right, that say all suspicious persons and activities will be reported to the police department. Right. What we're trying to do is actually not recreate the wheel. We're trying to really duplicate the neighborhood watch system into a trafficking watch to have everyone know the national hotline number, 888-3737-888, and if they see something, to say something. So it's very much like Neighborhood Watch. You know you see somebody breaking into your neighbor's house, and it's not little Johnny who locked himself out of the front door. You know what number to call. You know to call 911. And then you see the cop car pull up, and you see that injustice get righted. In the same way, we're asking for people throughout the Bay Area and beyond to be able to know what to look for to say something just doesn't feel right, and then to have the National Human Trafficking Hotline number in their phone, or if they see someone in imminent danger of being pushed into a car or in any kind of danger, to call 911 directly. And then we're working with local authorities to be ready to respond appropriately. That's fantastic. And let's talk more about some of the signs um, that might indicate that some something's wrong. That there's a that there's a human trafficking. There's a human rights violation happening. Um, what are some of the things that the local that that the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition trains people to look for? Well, it definitely is. People often first talk about when they travel, right? They want to talk about when they go somewhere else. But really what we point out is it's in your daily traffic pattern yourself that you have of what coffee shops you go to, where you walk your dog, what neighborhood you live in, what streets you drive down, where you drop your kids off, what malls you go to, what schools you're involved in. That is where you actually can best identify potential trafficking situations. Because if you're going to pick your kid up at a school and you see the same car parked outside, every day at three o'clock that looks like it's someone who's trying to, you know, talk to and hit on the girls as they're walking out of the schoolyard, or that you are at a park and you run into a nanny who seems to be uh, either physically uh, bruised or never meets anyone's eye, or you go to talk to them and they scuttle the kids together and get in the car and leave. Um, anyone that's accompanied by a controlling person that they're not a able to speak on their own behalf. You know, a lot of people ask me about nail salons and foot massage people and, you know, should I go get a massage? And we often say, well, if you actually have a relationship with that person you may have gone to for in a nail salon for a long time, asking them simple questions about their freedom of movement and of time. And if you've always asked them, well, have you ever thought about working anywhere else? And they say, oh, no, I can't. Like, I have a debt I have to pay off. Or, you know, where do you live? How far from the salon do you live? And they can't give you an answer. There have been cases recently that have shown that um, a couple nail salons were busted where they forced the workers to actually sleep in the salons at night. 
Uh, another thing to look for is maid services. And, you know, is somebody being transported to and from work? They're dropped outside a house to clean a house, and then they're seen getting in a van after waiting up to two hours to get, once they're finished cleaning, to get back in the van, and they're seen handing the money over to the driver. Um, anything like that where they mention that they just, you know, don't have the usual freedoms that we are able to enjoy here on a daily basis, those should be red flags. Now, again, that's why the national hotline is so great, because you can call them with questions. Um, I know I had a situation near my house that I called them, and I just said, you know, this is going on right outside my door, and what do I do? A uh, couple more things to keep in mind in terms of where you might see this. Uh, there are peddling rings uh, that are often seen after um, church services on Sunday, where young kids will be coming around and begging while um, people are having coffee after church services. There was a human trafficking ring that was looked into in Menlo Park where um, young kids were at each of these different churches and they were seen begging and then they would get back in the same car, hand the money to the driver and be driven down the street to the next church. Um, there are those fruit vendors that stand on corners now and you've got somebody who's selling oranges or strawberries in your neighborhood. Those are not vetted vendors through what we would say is like a farmer's market. That could actually be in the South Bay, especially near the San Jose area, those are being investigated to be connected with the human trafficking ring from Salinas that are actually going down to Salinas, picking up these uh, people, having them stand on street corners with only a bottle of water or maybe not even that for up to 18 hours trying to sell the fruit, and then they have to hand the money over to the driver to get driven home. Um, so really, we encourage in that case, don't buy from those vendors and really uh, go to a vetted farmer's market to get fresh produce. The other one to be concerned about is when kids come to your door and they are saying that they might be foster youth and that they're selling, uh, you know, magazines. I actually had that happen at my house. Uh, and I was home alone, middle of the day, working from home, and uh, an 18-year-old came to my door and tried to sell me a magazine, and I asked him some questions, and he said he had been dropped off at my neighborhood, and his other friends were out doing the same thing, and he had this crumpled piece of paper that he was trying to sell magazines from. And I pressured him so much on kind of, you know, why are you doing this? You're 18, and do you feel like your studies are good enough? You could go to community college, or do you really make enough money from this to, you know, oh, well, I have to do this, and oh, you know, I get dropped off, and then, you know, our group has to make this amount of money. And so finally, I was pushing him so much on the questions, he just turned to me and said, well, what if it's not magazines I'm selling? And he was actually going around to homes where women were home during the day and offering himself for sexual services to the women of Redwood City. Um, and that's how he was making money as an 18-year-old foster youth. So we have to be very careful of those door-to-door -door vendors that are coming to our homes as well. Now, the one thing we would say is that in these cases, if you think something suspicious is going on, definitely call the national hotline or call 911, but do not try and intervene and say, well, let me drive you to dinner or can I drive you home or, you know, in that case of the vendor coming to my door. Definitely keep in mind your personal safety. It is great to report as much detail as you can to something like the national hotline and then really trust the appropriate authorities to respond. What you don't know when you report on that massage parlor or on that hair salon or on that restaurant that you think there might be children working at uh, that are being held in exploitation is you might not be the only person to call in on that. They may have gotten five, six, ten calls, and that's actually what's creating the momentum that then the national hotline is getting local authorities to respond. So if you just call up your local cops and say, you know, well, I think there's a man on my street corner selling strawberries, they're not going to do much with that tip. But if you call the national hotline and let them know, they may have been tracking and being and hearing of all sorts of fruit vendors in the same neighborhood being moved around for the last two weeks. And that's where then they work with local authorities on that. So we have the chain of command to really make an impact, and we have the means as individuals to really be the eyes and ears of the Bay Area. Well, all of, all of that information is so important. And, um, you know, I, I want to kind of reference the, the article I was talking about earlier by Heather Poole, the flight attendant um, who, who wrote the article, um, What Being a Flight Attendant Taught Me About Human Trafficking. Um, she's talking about how when they're on the planes, um, they kind of, they're trained to say, to look for some of the things that you mentioned, right? Uh, is the person allowed to speak for him or herself or is someone controlling what they say? Do they avoid eye contact, appear fearful, anxious, tense, depressed, nervous, submissive? Um, are they dressed inappropriately? You know, she mentioned that sometimes on flights there'd just be a, like a, like teenage girls who are just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Someone who who doesn't have, um, you know, doesn't look like they're they're properly, you know. Uh, 
dressed or, or equipped uh, to be out and about in the world, like you mentioned that case where the, uh, the, the nanny, the, the teachers uh, saw that nanny showing up every day, all, you know, crumpled and, and in the same clothes all, all you know, for, for months on end, um, is someone trying to control their movement. Um, but my question is, um, with, with all of that information, and if we can call the national hotline, which is one 888 that's the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, um, and again, if you're listening to Women's Magazine, we're talking to the executive director of the Bay Area Trafficking Coalition, Betty Ann Bovine. And Betty Ann, my, my question is, when something like this gets reported, if the, you know, if the authorities, uh, the police or, um, you know, or the FBI actually go in and, and bust up a, a, a human trafficking ring in whatever kind of industry it may be, what happens to these victims of human trafficking? What happens to them? What's, wh- what's the next step? Well, I definitely think sometimes people consider this that it's always like international syndicates that are doing this or big-time gangs. But, you know, we're hearing stories of just individual high school students who are hearing that they can drug their girlfriend and bring their friends over and make money off of that um, by having them do all sorts of things to their so-called girlfriend. And so we're finding that both everything from individuals and kind of mom-and-pop shop type trafficking endeavors are happening all the way up to international syndicates that are now trafficking in human beings instead of trafficking in guns or weapons. Um, So, again, would love to stress that if people think this is going on in their neighborhoods or they've seen something suspicious, to definitely call the hotline and to not try and intervene uh, themselves. Um, But what we're really finding is that when, uh, let's say, that uh, cops get a tip uh, and that there is something going down, let's say, in a local hotel, and they decide to do an operation, and uh, they do discover that there's human trafficking um, survivors there. There's a big dialogue about trying to not criminalize them before helping them. So having actual victim service uh, folks on site for when those kind of operations happen in a hotel room where, yes, the purchaser and hopefully the pimp is uh, arrested and taken into custody, but there are victim service people there immediately to talk to these girls about saying, or even if they are coming into a restaurant or wherever it may be and talking to the victims who could be both men and women, uh, but saying, we are here to help you. We understand that you are not here against your, you know, you're here against your will. Like we are here to help because otherwise what has happened in the past is that there is this uh, kind of you know, wrongful way in which we've gone about it in the past, where the first thing is to criminalize the woman or to criminalize the victim and to say, oh, yeah, you're the one in the wrongdoing here. And what ends up happening is we just are completely traumatizing these uh, survivors. So what we're finding is, is that um, even a lot of, you know, when we're talking specifically about sex trafficking, you've got women who have said, well, why would I run to the police when I've got a problem or when I'm trying to escape when they're the ones that show up at our salon and expect free services? So we have to deal with the fact that a lot of these victims have a lot of distrust of law enforcement. They might be very um, anxious around any kind of uniform security or reaching out for help can be very difficult. So when law enforcement is trying to do the right thing and really get in there where there are these cases of people being held against their will, we need to be very careful not to criminalize uh, folks who are actually the victims. Once those survivors are uh, brought out of that situation, there are homes here in the Bay Area and around the country. But overall, we have less than you know 6,000 beds, I believe, was the latest estimate in the U.S. for victims of human trafficking. Now, um, when you look at the pipeline of human trafficking, this is why the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition focuses so much on prevention and intervention, because we've got to be talking about the 100,000 to 300,000 American youth that are at risk of being trafficked every year. Now, that's a number coming into the pipeline that is so huge. And on the other end, once they, you know, say are found in one of these operations or come forward, you know, there's 6,000 beds. So here in the Bay Area, we've got a little over 20 beds, but we probably have, you know, hundreds to thousands of potential victims. So what we are looking at is how do we actually get into the at-risk populations? Those that we would consider most highly at risk are those homeless populations, uh, those who are uh, in the foster care community, and that's a larger conversation, but around 60 to 70 percent of all domestic trafficking cases have actually been linked with people who have been involved with the foster care system some point in their life. 
So huge correlation with uh, having these kids come out of homes where there's recruitment within the homes and there is uh, sexual exploitation and other things that have happened to them as young kids that then lead them to be uh, very vulnerable for these Romeo pimps that will come along and say, well, you're beautiful or can I buy you a meal? And so if you're somebody who is... Um, homeless or, uh, you know, you've, you're, say your parents work until 8 o'clock at night and you have all these hours after school where you're walking home by yourself and then you are by yourself and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'll take you to the mall or I'll buy you a meal or let's go buy you something sweater. You know, a lot of people are vulnerable to feeling like that is an attachment of love that they have not experienced. And so we need to be looking at these populations. And many people tell me, well, I, you know, I read to kids after school or I'm with an after school program or, you know, I work with homeless communities. Those are the places where we need to be talking to the staffs and the counselors that work there about do they know how to identify potential human trafficking cases in their midst. And that is the population that needs to understand um, that that's how they get lured into it. One of the places in the country that is most shocking to me that has a high rate of human trafficking is Portland. And I think of Portland as being this safe, wonderful, you know, very environmental friendly place, but it's a population where there's a lot of street youth. And what happens in that case is there's a lot of parents who don't normally see their kids for up to a week at a time because they are um, they're looking at, you know, oh, well, you know, my little Samantha doesn't normally come home that often. You know, she's either out with her friends or, you know, it's just a situation where they're not coming home as regularly. So then when something happens and that street youth is approached and they are either given some food that's drugged or they're coerced into a car and said, hey, I've got a great job, let's head there. Uh, and they're stripped of any money they have, any cell phone, they have no other way to get out of the situation, they have no communication, it's about a week or two before those parents realize that their kid's gone. And in a week or two, if your child is taken into a, a trafficking ring, they could be you know, halfway around the world in an underage prostitution ring or whatnot. And so we really need to um, know that with information that we're giving folks, especially parents who are concerned about potential online predators who may be connecting with their kids via Facebook uh, or other sites or um, applications on the cell phones, we need to make sure that parents understand they're talking to their kids about what it means to be approached on this issue, how to say no, how to get out of the situation, and how to understand that that's not real love. That in and of itself is incredibly important, and we'd love for parents especially to feel like they're able to have enough equipment not to be you know, paralyzed or uh, paranoid and say, well, Betty Ann, now I don't know if I can send my kid to the mall ever again, but to really work on equipping both their children and their families on what to look for uh, so that they've got inf enough information to be dangerous and dangerous in a good way where they're able to stand against this and that we keep people from becoming human trafficking victims in the first place. Um, all, thank you so much. All of this is, is really vital information, and I hope people out there are taking note. Um, and, you know, if, they're, they're, if you're just tuning into Women's Magazine, you can listen to this podcast um, on mutinyradio.fm. And, um, and I know we, we kind of started out uh, earlier uh, talking about the Super Bowl. Um, we have a few more minutes. Um, let's talk a little bit more spe specifically about um, why the Super Bowl is such an important event um, and, and an opportunity to raise awareness about human trafficking. Absolutely. So here in the Bay Area, as I mentioned, over 50 organizations exist around fighting human trafficking. What we did is we got together with the South Bay Coalition to End Human Trafficking, which is a, the county group in Santa Clara, and we got together with Stanford University and um, led a steering committee of inviting those partners to come together under a joint initiative that we're calling No Traffic Ahead. And we're spelling traffic, traffic, you know, T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K, uh, because human trafficking has that CK in there. So notrafficahead.com has become the one website that we're telling everyone to go to in the Bay Area to be able to find out more information about human trafficking, to understand about all these partners who are working together, and to understand why we're coming together under one umbrella to encourage everyone in the Bay Area to not only know about this issue, but to report suspicious activity and to join us in this stance to make the Bay Area a place where traffickers can't do business. The more individuals in the Bay Area that start reporting suspicious activity that are on the lookout for things happening, it just makes traffickers uneasy because they feel like they can't, with ease of movement, move around the Bay. And when it comes to the Super Bowl in the Bay Area, it's a very unique opportunity because 
people will stay in a hotel in San Francisco. They will go party in Oakland. They will come to the Stanford Mall on the peninsula, and then they'll go to the game in Santa Clara. So this, again, isn't one situation where we can just train one set of police officers and hotels and have everybody ready in one city. We've actually been working across the bay, as I mentioned, to train all three international airports, as well as train truckers, as well as to train hotel staff, and to really look at where might this be happening in and around the Super Bowl? Now, there's been conversation at past Super Bowls in terms of kind of does the number of human trafficking cases go up around the Super Bowl? Indeed, there is definitely a lot of law enforcement efforts, and we applaud uh, those efforts that are happening both last week and this week. Uh, but what we're trying to really talk about in the discussion is also just what we would call the demand side of the issue, which is folks are coming in, up to 80% of Levi Stadium in Santa Clara will be people coming in from other places, other states, other countries. And what ends up happening is they get into this Super Bowl state of mind where they're partying with just no accountability that they would have in their own hometown. And so what we are really saying is, hey, the Bay Area is watching. It is not okay for you to have exploitation as part of your celebration. And that is where we can actually make a stance on the demand side, saying it is not okay to come to the Bay Area and call up, look at sex ads, do things, things like that. And then we're also working with those hotels and those in the hospitality industry who may normally work at 60 to 70% of occupancy and being full, and now they're at 100%. Well, where are they getting that temporary workforce? And are those middlemen who are helping them get more you know, housekeepers and more people around their, uh, their units, are they actually treating their workers okay? And are the workers that they've gotten for this short temporary amount of time are they getting paid fair wages? So those also fall under our human trafficking concerns, both on the sex and labor trafficking side. The Super Bowl obviously is coming up on Sunday, but that is just the first initiative of this joint notrafficahead.com uh, initiative where across the Bay, groups are coming together to make a stance against human traffic- trafficking happening here. So fantastic. And uh, if if I'm informed correctly, there's going to be an annual, it's the fourth annual Human Trafficking Brown Bag Series coming up. Is that something that the uh, BAATC is, uh, is working on? Uh, that is, we're aware of that. That is actually, I believe, through APILO, the Asian Pacific Islander Legal Outreach. Um, and they are having a series that is great, for, especially for people in the legal profession, to get connected to understanding how they might be able to offer services or pro bono uh, efforts to be able to be prepared to help survivors of human trafficking with some of the legal work that they need afterwards. Um, and then uh, one of the things I'd like to point out is on our home webpage for the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition, BAATC.org, we have a calendar that is of all the anti-trafficking events in the Bay Area from all of our 50-plus partners. And we, I'd encourage listeners to go on there and just pick another event to be able to learn more about this issue, be able to be in a room with people who also care and are asking questions so that we can be equipped as an informed citizenry here in the Bay Area. Again, that's BAATC.org. And there's a calendar there. On March 5th, we actually do our ambassador training where we invite people who are interested to be able to speak about human trafficking, be able to give presentations on our behalf, and to learn more about the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition that they can join us for that two-hour training. So again, I think anytime you hear about this issue, it's easy to get paralyzed or just say, well, I know it's happening elsewhere. But to really understand it's happening at home also opens up a sense of vulnerability. And I'd like to encourage people to be able to turn to their community, talk about this more from what they've heard today and really take the next step of engagement to help us stamp this out here in the Bay Area. Most definitely keeping eyes open and uh, and hearts and minds busy. Um, I know that there was an organization, I believe in the South Bay, called the Grateful Garment Project that was putting together, um, that I think uh, mostly focuses on, on putting together uh, kits for um, like backpacks full of like soaps and warm clothes and things for rape victims. But because the Super Bowl was coming up a couple weeks ago, they organized um, a backpack stuffing event um, to put these kits together for people who may indeed be picked up by local uh, police authorities um, who've been victims of human trafficking. So there's so there's definitely lots of different ways that you can uh, people can help um, or get involved and you know just just be aware. So. Um, uh, Betty Ann Boving, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. That's B-A-A-A-T-C dot org. Betty Ann, thank you so much for calling into Women's Magazine today. Um, and I hope that this message gets spread uh, as far and wide as it can um, so that we can continue to look out for one another. 
Thanks, Valerie, for the dialogue. Much, much appreciated. Um, and again, that National Human Trafficking Resource Center, the 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 hotline, the national hotline. If you uh, see something suspicious, you're, of uh, you, you believe that there's some something wrong going on, um, be aware of the things in your neighborhood. Um, you know, uh, I see a lot of people walking down the street and they're just like not not looking anymore because you're looking at your phone or something. We really need to be aware. Look out for one another. Look out for our neighbors, our neighborhood, um, everybody uh, around. And again, that national hotline number is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. That's 888-3737-888 if something fishy is going on. Um, so again, thank you to my guest. Um, it, it's been a really insightful conversation today, and I really appreciate um, all that good information. And if you're listening out there, just remember, even when you're up against terrible dark things like human trafficking and, and, and ens- enslaved labor and, and sex trafficking and all these things that you may just want to Oh, you like you just want to step away from and 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 throw your hands up. There are ways to get involved. Um, there are ways to help. And um, and if you're passionate about it, if you feel like this is something that um, is it concerns you, um, just remember, just when your aspirations are outrageous, that inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you, and uh, have a safe. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm Global Val, and you're listening to Women's Magazine on mutinyradio.fm. So uh, keep your eyes open, folks. Let's look out for one another. Stay tuned for the Common Thread Collective coming up next on Women's Magazine or uh, Mutiny Radio. <laughs> we'll be talking with the authors of the newest book put out or a new book put out by the New Press in New York called When We Fight, We Win. We forsake you, gonna rape you, let's forget you better. See?